Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. The Nevada Supreme Court just announced a major water decision. It was two decades in the making about a development that really never developed called Coyote Springs. You've probably passed the lonely signage about 45 minutes out of Las Vegas up the I-93. There's a big time golf course there and nothing else. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, we talk with environmental reporter Daniel Rothberg. He's been closely following the litigation. He'll explain what this big, big ruling means for the future of development in the driest state in the nation. That's us. It's Wednesday, January 31st. I'm David Figler, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. Daniel Rothberg, welcome back to CityCast Las Vegas. Thanks for having me. So this case we're talking about, it starts with a Las Vegas housing development proposed called Coyote Springs. You know, I drive by that signage. It's way over a decade old, just kind of a big rock structure. It says Coyote Springs, suggesting it's coming soon in the middle of nowhere. It kind of freaks me out. I'm going to just say that. (laughs) So tell us about Coyote Springs and how water wars have halted those plans. Yeah, so it's super interesting because this lawsuit definitely is about Coyote Springs and a housing development that's been in the works for 20 years. And there's all this juicy Las Vegas politics and interwoven water history that's gone on. But it's also about so much more than Coyote Springs. Envy Energy has water rights in this area from Mm -hmm. the Reed Gardner plant, the coal plant that shut down. Um, The Moapa Band of Paiutes has water rights in this area. The Moapa Valley Water District has water rights in this area. Southern Nevada Water Authority has groundwater rights and rights to the Muddy River in this area. Uh, it involves all the players, or not all the players, but a lot of the players down at the Apex Industrial Park. The Mormon Church has was involved in this proceeding because they have a ranch there. <laughs> okay, yeah, I was going to ask that. That's like a little screech. Yeah. Uh, seems kind of random. So why, why is the Church of Latter-day Saints, the Mormon Church, uh, involved in the actual litigation? Something about a ranch you just said? Yeah, they, they have a ranching property uh, in that area, I believe. I should say, I'm not sure if it's operated as a ranch anymore, um, but they do have land and water rights in, in the area. Okay. So this goes back way before Coyote Springs, but way before Coyote Springs. Like you said, Daniel, this case itself specifically was about Coyote Springs. So tell us, what was the court's ruling? And first, what does it mean for the Coyote Springs development? So I'll I'll take both those questions a little separately. Um, But the ruling itself was an appeal of a decision that the state engineer, Nevada's top water regulator, made back in, um, I believe, 2020, known as Order 1309. 
Mm -hmm. And Order 1309 did not take action. It was more of a declaratory order saying, basically, we believe this is how this hydrologic area operates. And because of that, we believe that there's only X amount of water. They said 8,000 acre feet of water available to use in this area. The district court looked at that and said, wait a minute. State engineer, you don't have authority to make that determination for several reasons, but one of them was because groundwater and surface water rights are separate and because of the way that basin boundaries are drawn and have operated in Nevada over time. And that's a big simplification. That was then appealed to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court said, wait a minute, actually, the state engineer does have the authority to issue the order that he did. So basically, and I just want to sum up really quick, they need water. I mean, it's pretty clear you need water to create a development of that size. Yes. The state engineer came out with an opinion that said, based on how we're assessing water, they don't actually have a lot of available water. They went to a district court here in Clark County, here in Las Vegas. That judge said, engineer, you didn't have the authority to do that. They go up to the Supreme Court, and now the Supreme Court's saying, wait, he did. And now where do we go in that decision? That's a great distillation of it. And yes, so there's still another step before the state actually would take an action to say, Coyote Springs, you can't pump. But the writing is sort of on the wall that the state is saying there's a very limited amount of water in this area that could make it difficult to develop. Okay. So Coyote Springs, it sounds like, isn't dead yet, but there does seem to be an inevitable conclusion here. The bigger takeaway is, yeah, state engineers have the authority to scientifically decide what water sources mean and where water goes. None of this dictates an action that the state engineer is going to take. So state engineer could could take several different types of actions. They might not necessarily curtail water or reorganize water rights. The state engineer could, for example, come up with a management plan or something like that. So, so what hasn't been tested in this case is exactly like how this authority can be used and enforced, et cetera. I got it. So now it's settled that the state engineers have the authority to make these sort of water determinations. And I've heard a lot of people, and I think this is a strong implication of the article that you had published in Nevada Independent, is that um, there are now broader implications in our state as it relates to water. What are those folks talking about? I think if you look at most places in the state, there are more rights to use water than there's water to go around. That's true for rivers, and that's also true for groundwater basins. What this decision recognizes is that those two resources that are already over-appropriated in many places actually work in tandem in a lot of cases. So, I mean, I think the best way to think about it is in a lot of places, surface water and groundwater are the same source. When you're close to a river, some of the surface water might be recharging the groundwater aquifer, and some of the groundwater might be going into the river, Mm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So when you pump groundwater near a river, like take the Humboldt River, for example, which is being studied right now, this exact question is being studied. Your pumping could actually be depleting water from the Humboldt River, which means there's somebody at the end of the river who's not getting their full allocation because Mm. of the groundwater you're, quote, taking. Got it. Groundwater don't read maps. (laughs) Groundwater don't read maps. 
All right. So I guess I'm I'm a product of uh, analogies. They were saying it's two separate bank accounts, but really there's some commingling of funds going on underneath it all. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And I'm not a hydrologist, but from the interviews I did, and again, several years ago, when I first reported out this story, this area known as the Lower White River Flow System is a pretty unique area. And there's all sorts of different ways that groundwater flows depending on where you're pumping, et cetera, et cetera, which is why some of this is so complicated because all of those parties that I mentioned, all those powerful parties, different interests, all presented different testimony of how they think this area operates. As we sit right now with this new Nevada Supreme Court decision, uh, who seem to you, Daniel, to be the winners and losers? And let's start with those little fish. Okay. So <laughs> so I think the winners of the case were the appellants who, who appealed the case from district court. Basically, the state of Nevada and their engineers. It would be the state of Nevada, Southern Nevada Water Authority, Center for Biological Diversity, and I believe the Muddy Valley Irrigation Company. You know, they, I think, were the winners in this case. And biodiversity sort of were the spokespeople for the fish. They were the fish's yes. so, uh, lorax. Yeah. <laughs> so so tell me more about the fish. So basically, the groundwater bubbles up into these springs that are the habitat for the moapa dace, which is a small fish, imperiled species, that has, even before you saw sort of the development interest in this area in the early 2000s, had already faced threats from kind of the use of this land, ranching, et cetera. The court recognized that the state engineer, under its kind of broad public interest considerations, had the authority to consider habitat for the Moapa Dace in mm. its decision in Order 1309, which, yeah. which it did. Yeah. And that's, I think, kind of interesting that the public interest is one of the arrows in the quiver of the state engineers, that they not only have to be doing science right, but they also have to be looking out for public interest. And here, the Nevada Supreme Court said that endangered little fish is a public interest. Yeah. The the Nevada Supreme Court recognized wildlife as a public interest, that there's compelling interest for the state to protect. I think also the court recognized that the state has to consider whether they would be, you know, complicit in sending a species to the endangered species list or something like that. Or to extinction. Or to extinction. Yes. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, Daniel, in these kind of water discussions, we always hear about like northern Nevada versus southern Nevada, the rurals versus the urbans. How does this ruling play out for those parties? I don't think the ruling falls in line with the Southern Nevada versus Northern Nevada, rural versus urban um, in any sort of neat way. Because Lincoln Lincoln County was on the other side than the Southern Nevada Water Authority, right? Yes, it was. But I don't think that's an indication of a rural-urban split necessarily. I think this ruling exemplifies statewide water scarcity issues. The fact is, is that it was assumed for 100, 150 years that there were more rights to use water than there really is water that can be used sustainably. And whether that's in the Lower White River flow system or the Humboldt River or the Walker River, there is this tension around water scarcity. And 
those issues really play out within the watersheds more than they do, you know, statewide, rural versus urban, southern Nevada versus northern Nevada. They're really specific dynamics to the watershed. And I think that is what this ruling shows when you have so many different parties at the table. I really think that it is saying basically the pot of water that we have to use, the the balance in our bank account is a lot smaller than we have thought of in a public policy framework. But th- that's what the science is telling us. Yeah. And I read in that uh, Nevada Supreme Court decision, they reiterated that Nevada is, in fact, the driest place in the nation and how important this kind of policy is. So I guess the final question then is, you know, how how do you think, Daniel, that this case is going to impact development in Las Vegas going forward? I mean, that's a, that's a good question. I'll admit I don't I don't fully know the answer to it. Um, I think a lot depends on how this case is interpreted uh, moving forward. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of parties involved that will want a pretty narrow interpretation of this ruling. One thing that's just interesting is this was a unanimous decision, and the court sort of spoke with one voice that you know the state engineer does have authority. Um, pretty broad authority when it comes to groundwater, especially in cases where the groundwater conflicts with prior surface water rights, mm. could harm wildlife, and you know could mean that there's less water to go around. You know, I, I think the Las Vegas Valley Aquifer is you know a topic that is maybe not discussed as much as it should be. Agreed. But, but, you know, I, you know, I don't know that this ruling has huge implications for that specific aquifer, but I think it is a recognition of Nevada moving into this era of 21st century water management, where the conversation really is, how are we going to use less in an equitable and fair way because it's not just about science. I mean, it's also there's economic, social, property right considerations. But how do we figure out in a fair and equitable way how, how we're going to use less and live within our means? Yeah, especially as the demand for more growth further out seemingly will continue. Right. Uh, very interesting. And I think the Supreme Court has definitely laid down some groundwork for some things that uh, may very well happen in the future as new developments come up and new little fishies are found. Yeah. Uh, Hey, Daniel Rothberg, thank you so much for joining us today on CityCast Las Vegas. Thanks for having me. And that's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. If you enjoyed the show, hey, go tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, bonus points if you mention your favorite Nevada fish, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Till then, stay lucky, everybody. Some celebrity, I can't remember who, owned a ranch in this area. Should have looked it up before this interview. I'm just going to say it was Carrot Top, even though that's 100% inaccurate. (laughs)